Welcome everyone to another exciting episode of the Canbind podcast. I'm your host for today, Dr. Fabiano Gomez, and today we have a truly special guest joining us. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Susan Rotzinger, esteemed program manager of Canbind. Dr. Rotzinger is not only an assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Toronto, but she has also been a driving force behind Canbind since its very inception. For those of you who may not be familiar with Canbind, it's a national program of research and learning that is dedicated to improving depression care for all Canadians. With a bold mission to deliver fast and effective care to individuals living with depression, Canbind has been at the forefront of innovative research methods and collaborative efforts over the past 10 years. Today, we'll dive deep into the fascinating world of Canbind with Dr. Ratzinger herself. Dr. Ratzinger, Susan, our dear Susan, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. We're thrilled to have you here. Can you tell us a bit more about yourself and what things you were doing before you joined Canbind? Sure. Thanks very much, Dr. Gomez, for having me here and giving me the opportunity to speak about Canbind. Yeah, before I joined Canbind, I've always been involved in neuroscience research. I did a PhD in neuroscience and psychiatry at the University of Alberta with Dr. Glenn Baker, and he was a fantastic mentor, so I really learned a lot about basic lab science and psychiatry as well. And then I did a postdoc in Toronto at the University of Toronto with Dr. Franco Vaccarino, doing again basic lab science. But at that time, you know, he was speaking with Dr. Sidney Kennedy a lot about the idea of a biomarker discovery network. And along with CANMAT, the Canadian Network for Mood and Anxiety Treatments, they had really been thinking that they wanted to develop this biomarker network. So I had the good fortune of being in the right place at the right time around 2009 when I started working with Dr. Kennedy. That's great. So you were a hardcore neuroscientist, Susan. That's amazing. And can you tell us a bit about how Canbind came to be? What was Canbind? How the idea came out? Yeah, so it was a good time for a number of things that came together. So I mentioned CanMAT. They are a national network focusing on developing guidelines and providing education for healthcare providers and the public. But they were also thinking at the same time about a biomarker network. And in the field, it was recognized that we really needed biomarkers to help guide treatment selections. There are a lot of good treatments that work for people, but it's hard to know which treatment is right for which individual person. So the thought was to develop this biomarker network. And at the same time, a great funding opportunity came along through the Ontario Brain Institute. And they were looking to bring together groups of researchers, community partners, and industry partners to form these integrated discovery programs to help accelerate discovery, innovation, economic growth, and really ultimately help patient care. So we applied for this, and that was in 2011. We got a little bit of funding at the start, and then in 2013, we were fully funded for the first five years of Canbind. So Susan, how is the Canbind uh, group organized? Mm -hmm. So we have quite a large executive team where we have one representative from each of the institutions that's involved with Canbind. And we also have a leader for each platform. So we have different data platforms. We have the clinical research platform, 
uh, neuroimaging, EEG, molecular, knowledge translation, and now we have a new digital health platform as well. So each of those platforms has a lead and different personnel who work within that data platform. That's great. And I'm interested in the knowledge translation platform too, because that's when you usually get the translation. And so how does that uh, knowledge translation platform work? Yeah, so we've been very fortunate to have Dr. Sagar Parikh with CanBind since the beginning, and he's also working with CanMat since the beginning. And he really has an expertise and a passion for knowledge translation. So he brought to CanBind different methods of sharing this knowledge through, could be conferences. We've organized several international conferences. We have continuing medical education events. We have public education events um, with community partners. We also have uh, knowledge products such as podcasts, videos, newsletters, pieces on our website about uh, research findings in plain language. And I think one of the highlights of the knowledge translation platform was the Choice D guide. And this was a guide created by and for people with lived experience to translate the professional CANMAT treatment guidelines into a more understandable lay version that people can use and discuss their treatment options with their healthcare provider. That's amazing. All these um, products, they're all available on the CANBIND website. Yes, yes, that's right. So I definitely encourage people to go and, and to look at that. That's great. And one uh, important issue when we are thinking about those collaborations and partnerships is usually funding, right? Yes. And it seems like there was an opportunity for mm -hmm. some funding, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's the biggest part of any research endeavor is trying to raise the research funds. So it really was the Ontario Brain Institute or OBI that helped to launch us. And we also had to have funding partners for that opportunity. It was a grant that required matched funds be brought to the table. So we've had industry partnerships and each of the investigators who are involved in CanBind also bring some of their own research funds, some funding from their institutions. So it's been really a collaborative effort. So it seems like you have different sorts of funding, right? Do you remember on the top of your head the funders of CanBind? Yeah, definitely. So we've been supported quite generously by Canadian Institutes of Health Research, so CIHR, a number of different grants over the years to different investigators as part of our team, and Brain Canada, Ontario Mental Health Fund, and, and the Ontario Research Fund for Research Excellence also funded us. It's quite broad, really interesting to have like public funding, right, together with the institutions themselves and the researchers and also industry. By industry, you mean like pharmaceutical companies, any controversies about like bringing money from drug companies? Yeah, you know, there is the perception and we have to be very careful that they are completely unrestricted funds and that this is completely investigator-driven research, that it's not influenced by the pharmaceutical company at all. But really, like I mentioned, it was part of our funding requirement that we brought this extra funding in. And also the scope and the expense of our research, we couldn't do it without the additional funding sources. That's interesting. Those unrestricted grants, they give the money and you can actually use the money as the program needs and in the interest of the program itself. That's right? correct, yeah. That's great, yeah. that's great. 
So Susan, and how was your initial involvement with the program? I mean, dealing with all those big shot researchers in the mood disorders field, how did you start working with them? They're a great collaborative group of people and it was a lot of fun. We, everyone had the same vision and the same goal and they really bought into the idea. It was truly Dr. Kennedy who was the driving force behind it. But we all had the same idea and vision and it was, you know, weekly conference calls, lots of meetings, lots of discussions. And how were the first programs and the first projects? What were you doing first? So the first step was to develop a standardized data collection platform. So to really get all of the neuroimaging protocols standardized across the country, all of the clinical protocols, and to decide, you know, which which data would we collect, which scales were we most interested in. So we had a lot of discussions about that. And then our first major study was we called CanBind 1, and that was 16-week treatment trial. So it started with kind of one um, project that had like a unique portfolio of different biomarkers. They treated patients with a specific treatment, trying to understand what would be the predictors of like response and non-response. That's quite innovative, right? At least if we think about like 10 years ago. This is, this is really interesting. Do you have your own opinion about what makes CanBind truly unique? Yeah, I think one thing is definitely the network, the friendships, the trust that the researchers have for each other, and that has been critical to making it through some of the more difficult moments and long trials and other things. It's the, the friendship and the trust that the group of researchers have. And I think on a research perspective, it is the breadth and depth of measures that we're collecting. It is quite unusual to be able to collect all of these different types of biomarker data in one study. That's really, truly inspiring. And apart from this pivotal study with the treatment, there have been a lot of other uh, even trials, right, within the CanBind. And I'm familiar that the group is also working about summarizing the findings. But there are other findings that you would like to highlight for the past 10 years of CanBind? Yeah, I think one thing that we'd like to highlight is that we, as part of being funded by the Ontario Brain Institute, we make our data available to other researchers. So that can be accessed once we have cleaned the data, analyzed the data ourselves. We do make it available for others to apply for and work with, and I think that's quite important. And the other thing is our knowledge translation program is very unique, and we've been providing healthcare provider information and public information to try to help people understand their own treatment options, what is depression, and what might be the best treatment option for an individual. That, that's great, and it's really inspiring to hear about the impact, right? Because what you're talking is about how we can translate findings that usually are presented on conferences, publishes on manuscripts. Sometimes we do have one talk or another, but how can we translate that into change in practice and eventually, I mean, of course, with the goal of improving patient care. So that's really inspiring. And if we think about, um, as an organization, Susan, how has Combined evolved over the past decade? Uh, what has been some of the biggest challenges you faced along the way? Because you started with that funding to maybe fund some projects, and it seems like it's evolved and changed quite a bit. Yes, yeah, it has evolved. We started from no network whatsoever and no funding, and we were proposing this idea to funding agencies and really 
people doubted the feasibility. They questioned whether we could do it. So I feel like that's been our major accomplishment. We've not only done it, but now we've got data over a thousand participants in our database and we're moving into you know, the next 10 years. So I feel like we've evolved from trying to prove that we could do it to now really trying to test some of the biomarkers that we found in the first phase of funding. And we're really at a point now where we can do that. It's probably only possible with this collaborations, right? And I'm sure that's quite a complicated topic sometimes to navigate. Can you tell us a bit more about how you navigate the collaborations, kind of having a way of everybody that it's on board, it's kind of satisfied with whatever results they have? Sure, yeah. So one of the difficulties of the collaborations is sort of the administrative aspect, the contracts, the agreements. Those are the things that can slow things down or make it more difficult to move along as quickly as we'd like to, but we must, you know, have all of the proper documents in place. But in, on a scientific perspective, I think we've got a good group with healthy debates so we can talk about different ideas and bounce things back and forth. We meet very regularly, at least twice a month, all of the executive team gets together and we talk about any of the research issues. So there haven't been any major conflicts, thank goodness, along the way, we've been able to just work it out. That's great. So no problems dealing with all these high-profile, high-achiever researchers. It's been okay for you then, Susan? Yes, yeah. And it, it probably caused a lot of your personality, right? You have a, like a nice temperament. It seems like someone that can uh, navigate these issues quite well. It, it's really interesting, actually, and I would like to emphasize the power of collaboration. And it seems like uh, that's what CanBind is there for. Another interesting part of Kenbine is that it's not only a network of the researchers, but there's also a lot of patient families, all the stakeholders are involved. And even if we think about policy making with the OBI and all the funding from the government. Oh, definitely. Yes, it's been it's wonderful to have the community advisory committee and we meet with them six times a year. We have researchers join the conversation so we can really hear what their concerns are. And we can also bring ideas to our community advisory committee to ask them what do they think. We have two community advisory committee members sitting on our executive for Canbine, so they're at every executive meeting. So we can consult with them, ask what they think. You know, when one of these conflicts does arise, when we're debating different sides of an issue, we always turn to the community advisory committee as well to say what do you think. We used to be able to have a friends and family day in person prior to the pandemic, which was a wonderful opportunity to present the research findings to our community. And we hope to bring those back again now that we're back to in-person events. And we also used to have annual workshops where we would bring together all the stakeholders, the industry partners, the community partners, the researchers. And those were two-day conferences, which were again a great opportunity to share ideas and talk with our stakeholders. That's really unique and we can say that it's uh, now it's becoming a tendency, right? Mm -hmm. To all big groups and all big studies, they do bring people with lived experience, their families to try to have some input, to get some input and sometimes they become I mean, true collaborators and it seems like at Canbine that's what happens, right? Mm -hmm. And it's likely an integral part for this successful recipe that it's Canbine. Can you tell us a bit more, Susan, about the rewarding aspects of your role here at Canbine? Because I can see that you're quite excited and think about it with a lot of enthusiasm too. What are your personal rewards from working with Canbind? 
for me, it's such a wonderful opportunity to be able to be part of this network and working with the scientists and the investigators and the community partners. It's such a dedicated group and we've really seen such an evolution like we were talking about earlier about from the early days of thinking about this was a good idea till now we've actually found biomarkers and we're testing them. And I'm really fortunate to be able to work with the group of people that, that I do work with. And it's great, and it seems like you were able to continue to work on your career as a neuroscientist, right? But mm -hmm. also with this administrative role, this really important role of getting things done. Yeah. So it seems like it's kind of your lab here about the <laughs> Canbind group, right? Yeah. Um, and do you have any advice, Susan, for like researchers, maybe clinicians that are looking to pursue this career in depression research and care? Do you have any tips for them? I think to reach out to the researchers, to the organizations. We're always happy to speak with people and collaborate. And we have some amazing, even international collaborations that we're working on now. And we're growing, we're in a new phase. So I'd say people should not be afraid to reach out and make a connection with us. And Susan, I mean, we talked about a bit of the opportunities and the advice you gave for like young researchers and the Canbind community. Opportunities maybe for uh, people that are uh, living with depression and they're interested in participating in studies. Do you have uh, open studies at this time? Yes, we do have some studies that we're recruiting for currently and people can find out more information about them from our website. That's great. And Kanban has a really good like website and also a newsletter, right? So people can sign up to kind of get the information they need about the network and also know the clinicians and the researchers that are working. So I think there are great opportunities too. So can you give us like a sneak peek of what's coming for the next decade or maybe for the next few years of Canbind? Sure, yes, it's very exciting. As I mentioned, our new director of Canbind, the leader, Dr. Benicio Frey, and he has brought in a lot of new ideas. And we have a new funding opportunity right now through Brain Canada that we've been awarded. So we're really moving away from the smaller projects toward a larger platform, this master clinical trial platform idea where we can enroll more participants and share the data more widely with other groups and collect biomarker data from different projects that are ongoing. So it's really trying to expand this database of biomarker information and participants and being able to link participants. If people are interested in participating in research, we can link them with studies that are appropriate for them. That can truly be like a game changer, right? In the field of depression research, especially with biomarkers, having such an impressive network of really brilliant and high profile researchers. That's amazing. So, Dr. Rotzinger, thank you so much for joining us today and providing us with such invaluable insights into the incredible work uh, that Canbind has done in the past few decades. It was really like an absolute pleasure having you here today. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. And to all our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Canbind podcast. Stay curious and stay engaged. Thank you.